Hey, what's up, people? How's it going? Thank you very much for tuning in once again to the Old Head Podcast. Well, I guess you're not tuning in. You are streaming this from your smartphone or your computer, or you're listening to this on YouTube, whatever, however it is you are listening to this, I greatly appreciate it. And today, we are going to get a little bit personal. And that's because I'm going to be talking about a band that is very important in my life, was very important in me growing up and becoming an adult, I guess, and they were also very important to me in learning how to play guitar, learning how to write songs, learning the kind of band that I kind of wanted to be when I didn't really know what I wanted. I just knew that I loved music and I wanted to do something musical. But these guys swooped in and gave me some direction. I'm going to be talking about the band Nirvana. And as I normally do, this is going to be from my perspective and my reflection, if you will, of the band. So let's kind of start off where Nirvana came in to my life. So in September of 1991, Nirvana released the album Nevermind. And as history shows, it was initially supposed to just be this kind of modest selling album, and it ended up changing the face of popular rock music when it was all said and done. But I didn't end up hearing the album until a couple of months later. In uh, November of 1991, I remember seeing the music video for the song Smells Like Teen Spirit. I believe it was on Headbangers Ball. Most likely it was. And at that point, I had never really seen or heard anything that made me react the way that song and video did. So by 1991, I was already a metalhead. I was listening to everything from Guns N' Roses to Anthrax, Metallica, Faith No More, all of those things. And I was developing a fanatical love for heavy, loud, aggressive music. And at this point, musicians, especially guitar players, to me, were gods. They were people who were larger than life, and they were blessed with a talent that was beyond any normal mortal human being. Now, I was in the eighth grade. I was 13 years old, and I didn't ever really stop to think, well, these guys had to have started from somewhere. I, I just knew who they were now, and I knew that there's no way that I could even begin to figure out how to do anything as good as those guys. 
But, and I feel like this is a common reaction that a lot of people my age had to Nirvana. When I saw the Smells Like Teen Spirit music video and I saw those guys playing and heard what they were playing and for the first time for me, it was something that I felt was within my reach. But it was still something that totally blew me away because it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And I had no idea. I had no idea that this kind of music was out there. This sort of aggressive but melodic and kind of simple music that seemed to speak on a more personal level. And so the next day, or within the next couple days, I had talked my older brother into driving me to a record store called Sound Warehouse to purchase the album Nevermind. And from the very first listen, I was absolutely hooked. Every single song seemed to be just as awesome as the one before it. It was an exhilarating experience, and it immediately became my favorite album at the time. And I played that tape pretty much every single day. And then something happened in my life that ended up making that album even more of an important thing to me. On December 6th of 1991, a group of young girls were brutally murdered inside of a local yogurt shop. They were raped and shot, and the place was burned down with them inside of it. I'm sure some of you may have heard about it, and others, if you don't, you could easily Google yogurt shop murders and get all the facts. But that event was earth-shattering to me. Number one, because one of the girls, a girl named Amy, was in my class at school. I believe she was in my Spanish class, if I remember. And not only that, the yogurt shop where these horrible crimes occurred was two blocks from my house. Now, up to this point, death, for me, was strictly regarding old people and shit you would see in movies. This was the first time I had dealt with the idea of death. And not only that, the death of someone my age, very close to my home. And I remember that I really didn't know how to process what had happened. I didn't really know how I was supposed to feel. I didn't really know what I was supposed to say to anyone. I just knew that I was really scared. And so for what seemed like several months, I didn't leave my house except for to go to and from school. 
And it, and it, this, you know, this tragedy affected so many people at my school in a very similar way. But I I don't I can't really speak for them, but for me the album Nevermind became even more comforting because it seemed to sound like the confusion that I was feeling. It it seemed like if I could take what I was feeling and put it into music, it would sound like that album. And so it was something that I obsessively listened to all the time. And I tried my best to work out all of the fear and anger and confusion that was inside of me. And it was soon after that that I started toying with the idea of writing my own songs. At first, it was just on some shitty keyboard that I got for Christmas one year, but eventually I ended up getting a guitar, and the songs that I used to help me learn how to play guitar were all songs from Nevermind. They were simple and repetitive, but damn, they felt fucking good to play. And so I decided that that's the kind of music that I want to make, too. Now, about a year later, Nirvana released a collection of B-sides and other random songs, and that album was called Incesticide. And I got that one as soon as it came out and played that one to death. And it was cool because it kind of gave a different perspective on the band because there were cover songs on there, there were songs that were a little bit weirder, Songs are a little bit more grungy, if you will. And that was very interesting for me to hear. And I loved those songs too. And then because of that, I ended up going back and getting Bleach. Now, the funny thing about Bleach is initially, I didn't like it. I felt like it was kind of a dumbed down version of Nirvana. And I was like, well... We're already past this. I, I don't I don't get what they were doing here. It didn't connect with me as a 15-year-old kid or whatever. I grew to love it eventually, but it was kind of rough for a little bit there. But those albums altogether, I know that you probably wouldn't consider Incesticide as an album, but to me, all of the things that Nirvana made when you put their albums together if you slip Incesticide right there in between Bleach and Nevermind it just makes so much fucking sense listening to the progression of the band the progression of Kurt Cobain as a songwriter it, it's it's just very interesting because it just bridges that gap between Bleach and Nevermind and so by the time Incesticide had come out, this was 1992, and the grunge explosion was taking place. It was everywhere. All of those classic grunge bands, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all of that stuff was all in your face everywhere you went. And 
Whether they liked it or not, Nirvana had become the grunge poster boys. And that didn't bother me at all because I was pretty much obsessed with them. I ended up buying, I think it was the first biography that was written about them. I believe it was called Come As You Are. And reading that book ended up making me utterly fascinated with Kurt Cobain. Because before that, I had never really put any thought into how the songs were written or who did what. I just liked the band and the music they played. But all of a sudden, I had some backstory. I knew who he was. I knew that this band was his vision. And I related to him in so many ways. And, you know, sure, I had aspirations of being a Kurt Cobain-type rock and roll songwriter and performer. That was the dream, you know? Me and 100,000 other teenage kids at the same time. And then, flash forward another year, September 1993, they released the album In Utero. And of course, like many, many other people, I was anticipating this album like crazy, and then when we first got to hear the song Heart Shaped Box, I was so excited. These dudes did it again. And I got that album the day it came out on CD, and once again, it really spoke to me, and I totally loved it. It was not quite the same level of excitement as I felt with Nevermind, mostly because the band had grown to be so huge at this point, it didn't really feel like a personal discovery. It felt a lot more like me and all these other people are listening to this album, and by that point, I'd become a little bit weary of the entire grunge thing. Although I did enjoy a lot of the music, it started to seem like the way punk rockers seemed in the early 80s where they were wearing a uniform and playing a part. It, it didn't seem organic. It seemed like a fad, which it was. But Nirvana broke through that fad by releasing an album that didn't just sound like a second part of Nevermind. The album seemed more stripped down and more personal, if that was even possible. But it kept me on board in a big way and continued to influence me as a burgeoning musician or whatever. Because uh, on in December of that very same year, in 1993, I got my first guitar, and that's when I started learning. I would learn a Nirvana song, and then sometimes I would take chords from that song and rearrange them and kind of make them into my own thing. It was a crash course in figuring out how to take this whirlwind of teenage emotions and put them all in some sort of creation that's shaped with verses and choruses and middles and whatnot. And even 25 years later, I still hear a little bit of Kurt Cobain in all of the music that I write. But let's go back for a second to wrap this up to 1994. And I remember in 1994... 
Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love were in the news a lot. And I'm sure many of you have differing opinions on their relationship and the role that she may have played in his demise. But I remember seeing them together and thinking, you know what, I'd like to have a relationship like that someday where it's just two fucked up people who understand each other living their lives out. Now, is that romanticizing it a little bit? Yeah. But that's the way I remember it, and frankly, that's the way I would like to remember it. But anyway, 1994, uh, if you remember, Kurt had an overdose in Rome that was in the news. And if I remember right, for a brief period of time, they reported that he was dead, even though he wasn't. And then later on down the line, they talk about how this was his first suicide attempt and whatnot. But either way, you could tell that Kurt Cobain was in trouble in one way or another. And then on April 8th, 1994, we got the news that Kurt Cobain was dead. And once again, the idea of death was back in my life. And it was a different kind of death because it was a suicide and Up to that point, I don't think that there were any high-profile suicides, at least in my memory, and it was was weird to, to think about, because no matter what explanation anybody gave, whether it was because of the drugs or he was depressed and didn't know what to do about the life that he had somehow created around himself that had become utter chaos, whatever it is, to me, none of it made suicide make sense. And yeah, I know that there's no way that I could possibly know everything that he was going through and actually put myself in his position. Yeah, I know. And you could say that maybe I'm very lucky because I've never legitimately entertained the idea of suicide, sure. And while we're on the subject, no, I don't believe in any of the murder theories when it comes to Courtney and whatnot. Yeah, I've read the books, and I've seen the movies, and yeah, depending on how you look at it, some shit doesn't add up, I understand. But once again, maybe it's just because I don't want that to be the case, and so I'm sticking with the facts as they have been written down in the annals of history. And so, in the end, the uh, music of Kurt Cobain was in my life for less than two and a half years before Kurt Cobain was gone. And I was a 16-year-old kid who was kind of just figuring out who he was and what he wanted to do with his life. So if you want to get poetic about it, it was kind of a passing of the torch from him to me. He was out of my life, and I was moving on with my life, following my dreams, which at the time did not include me sitting down in front of a microphone and speaking my feelings 
to the world. But hey, here we are. And I'm glad that I'm here to do this. And I'm glad that you're there to listen. And with that, I bid you farewell. Once again, I am Steven, and this has been the Old Head Podcast, and I will see you guys next time. Bye.